Well, good morning, church again. Grace and peace be multiplied to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. We are just so blessed to be able to see each other again this morning and to worship God in song. As we continue our worship this morning in the Word, let's go ahead and come before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just are grateful. Lord, last week we didn't have a chance to meet. This week we're here. We're here to worship you, to gather with your people, to be edified in the presence of one another, to be edified with the gifts that you've given each one of us, to fellowship and to go out equipped with your word to to, to make Jesus known. I pray, Lord, that as we continue our worship in your word, that you would prepare our hearts and minds for the truths therein, that you just get us out of the way. I pray, Lord, that whatever we've experienced this past week or whatever we're going to experience this next week, that you would have our undivided attention in this moment. And so, Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And who we are not in Christ, we ask that you would make us, and we ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You know, at the beginning of the year, our family was gathered all together, and someone made a comment about our four-year-old daughter, Adeline. They said, you know, she looks so much like her grandmother, Adeline, she overheard the conversation and said, no, I don't. I'm not old. Well, my wife then explained to her, she said, Adeline, they're not saying you're old, they're saying you have similar facial features. She went on to say, you know, some people sometimes tell me I look a little like my dad. Well, Adeline thought about it for a moment and said, but mommy, you're not bald. You know, how many of you know this morning, one of the best compliments we can receive as believers is how much we resemble our Father in heaven because of a life that has been forever transformed and changed by the good news of the gospel. And the good news of the gospel that forever changes our lives, that makes us new creations in Christ, is the good news that we're going to continue to talk about in the letter of Galatians. And that's where I'd like to invite you to open with me in your Bibles. We'll be in Galatians chapter 4, and we'll be looking at verses 21 to 31 together. And my prayer this morning is that you would walk away with two assurances we all share as believers. Two assurances we all share as believers. My prayer is, as you leave today having been in the word of God, that you would be more grounded in your faith because of these assurances. I pray that because of these assurances, you would leave today being encouraged in your faith, regardless of what you faced this past week and regardless of what you're going to face this coming week because of these assurances concerning the gospel. It's helpful to be reminded the background of the letter. Paul is the author, and he's writing to churches throughout the region of Galatia. Paul's purpose is quite simple. He writes to declare the gospel, to defend the gospel, and to call believers who have strayed back to the truth of the gospel. False teachers had come into these churches, many of which Paul had originally planted, and they were teaching that faith in Jesus was important for salvation. So there were religious people, but they were teaching that faith in Jesus was not, not enough for salvation. If you were a Gentile and you wanted to be truly saved, they taught that not only did you need to trust in Christ, but you need to become a Jew. They taught that you had to be circumcised, observe various diets and days. Uh, They taught that you had to observe the whole of the Mosaic law. And Paul says that's not the gospel. They 
turn you to another gospel, which is no gospel at all, he said in chapter 1. And Paul, throughout the letter, as he declares the truth, defends the truth, and calls these believers back to the truth, he continues to do that now by giving believers, including you and I this morning, two assurances that we share about the gospel. Two assurances that should ground us in our faith and encourage us in our faith in regards to the good news of the gospel. And he's going to use the story of Abraham to do just that. I'd invite you to stand in honor of the reading of the word as we consider these two assurances. Chapter 4, verse 21 reads this way. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who is of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. And for this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren. You who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But... As he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free women. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. The word of the Lord, y'all may be seated in the presence of God this morning. This morning, we're going to walk away today with two assurances that we share as believers about the good news of the gospel. The first assurance we read about in verses 21 to 27 is the assurance that the gospel is true. Paul is writing these believers, many who have strayed from the truth, those who are truly saved, justified by faith, but have been deceived by these false teachers, and he calls them back to the truth by means of giving them this assurance that the gospel that they originally received, that you are justified by faith and not by the works of the law, is true. You know, in verses 21 to 27, the manner in which Paul gives us this assurance and gives his readers this assurance is by telling the story of Abraham and then connecting the story of Abraham to the truth of the gospel. Paul, he shares the story of Abraham, but he introduces it first with a question. Paul asks this in verse 21, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? You know what Paul says? He says, tell me, answer this question. It's a rhetorical question. Who does he ask this question to? It says, those who desire to be under the law. Who are those who desire to be under the law? Those who are working for their salvation rather than trusting God for their salvation. Those who desire to be under the law are those who try to be a good person in order to get into heaven rather than recognizing no one is good and we need to trust in Christ and receive his righteousness alone for our salvation. Those who desire to be under the law are those who think that they can contribute anything to the finished work of Christ on the cross who declared on that cross to tell us die, it is finished. 
And so Paul is speaking to those who are working for their salvation instead of trusting God for their salvation. And he asks them, and you and I, this rhetorical question, do you not hear the law? Do you not even know that? Because if you heard the law, if you knew the law, I guarantee you, you would not desire to be under the law. Why? Because those who are under the law have the obligation to obey the law perfectly. And the problem with that is none of us in our sinful state with a sinful heart can obey the law perfectly. All of us fall short. That's what Romans 3.23 tells us. All of us miss the mark. And the penalty for falling short, the penalty for missing the mark in Romans 6.23 is spiritual death. An eternity without God and his people forever and ever. So what Paul is saying here, if you truly desire to be under the law, you would have to keep the law perfectly. But because you can't keep the law perfectly, you stand condemned under the law. And so working for your salvation is not the pathway to life. It's the pathway to bondage. It's the pathway to death. Working for your salvation is not the pathway to forgiveness and everlasting life. It's the pathway not to heaven, it's the pathway to hell and eternity without God and his people forever and ever. So Paul asks, how you who desire to be under the law, have you not heard the law? Because if you did, you would have no desire to be under the law. He's calling these believers back to the truth. And as he assures them of the truth of the gospel, he introduces the story of Abraham beginning in verse 22. And he says, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. Now, Paul is going to first introduce the story of Abraham. He had two sons, and then in verse 23, tell us the story of how these sons were born. They were born under unique circumstances, different circumstances. Now, Paul expects his readers to know the story of Abraham. He expects you and I to know the story of Abraham. For some of us this morning, that's fresh on our mind. For others, not so much. But you read the story of Abraham back in Genesis. And in Genesis, you read about a man of God whose name was Abram before it was changed to Abraham, who was set apart for the purposes of God. God made a promise to Abram after giving him a command to leave the land of his fathers and go to the land he would show him to the land of Canaan. And God made this promise in Genesis chapter 12 verse 2 to Abram, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Now, this is a wonderful promise. What you learn about in Genesis is Abram and his wife, um, Sarah, they were barren or she was barren her entire life. When he receives the promise after the command in Genesis chapter 12, verse 4, it tells us when he leaves Haran and goes to Canaan, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 4, it says Abram is 75 years old. In Genesis 17, 17, we learn that Sarah is 10 years younger than Abram. So when he receives that initial promise in Genesis 12 that he will be made into a great nation, Abram is 75, his wife Sarah is 65. She's been barren her whole life, and I don't know about you, but I haven't seen a lot of 65-year-old women give birth at that age. Not only was it, is it unusual for a woman at 65 or older to give birth today, it was unusual back then. And so if God is going to fulfill this promise to Abram at 75 and his wife 65, 
It's going to have to be some kind of a miracle for God to make that happen. Well, Abram obeys God. He goes and heads over to Haran, and as time passes, he takes a look at his inheritance, and he has much to give, but he has no one to give it to. In Genesis chapter 15, we learn that Abram has a servant named Eliezer, and Abram turns to the Lord and says, Who, what will you give me, Lord? I, I've only got this servant. I've got no biological child. How are your promises going to fulf be fulfilled? And God tells Abram in Genesis 15, go outside, it's nighttime. He says, look up at the stars, and he says, start counting. And Abram starts counting. One, have you ever counted the stars? One, two, three. He starts counting and counting and and there are too many to count. And God says, so will be the number of your descendants. How does Abram respond to that? Even in his old age, Sarah, who's growing older, he believed God, Genesis 15, 4 says, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Abram was justified by faith. Well, we learn as we turn the, the chapter to Genesis chapter 16 that um, 10 years pass. Ten years pass since Abram has left Haran and has been in Canaan. And so this man who was 75 is now 85, and his wife is now 75. She's 10 years older. And I don't know about you, but I haven't seen a lot of 75-year-old women give birth, conceive, and have children either. Well, Sarah's thinking to herself, you know what? God has made this promise that we are going to have more descendants than the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, but we don't have a seed. I can't give birth. I'm 75 years old. And she looks at herself in the mirror and says, I am older and barren. Then she looks at her maidservant, Hagar, and she says, says she's younger and fertile, and she thinks to herself, I've got a plan. I've got a plan to fulfill the promise of God, and I'm going to help God out. Be careful whenever you become impatient with the promises of God. Be careful whenever you become impatient in your prayer life because when you become impatient, what ends up happening, you make bad decisions. And those bad decisions lead to poor consequences. Sarah turns to Abram and says, take my maidservant Hagar, have relations with her, and have a child. Abram agrees. And in Genesis 16, verse 16, we learn that at the age of 86, Abram has his firstborn son, Ishmael, not with Sarah, but with Hagar. But God reveals something. This is not the promised son. God was, said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep my promise, but this is not the promised son. And as you continue to read as Genesis unfolds, you learn that more years pass, 13 years pass. And now Abram is 99 years old. And at 99, God tells Abram, you're going to have a son. It's not Ishmael. He's not the son of promise. Abram's like, I'm old now. <laughs> Just take Ishmael. God says, no, no, no. This is the son of promise. You're going to have a son through Sarah. And at 100 years old, and Sarah is how old? 90. Sarah conceives and has a child, the son of promise. And we learn about in Genesis 21, 5 through 7, now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. Wouldn't that make you laugh if you saw a nine-year-old woman give birth to a child. Verse 7, she also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children for I have borne him a son in his old 
age. And so Paul tells the story of Abraham, expecting you and I to know this story that Abram had two sons, one son by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. And at 100 years old, God fulfilled his promise to Abram. The question I've got to ask us this morning is why did God wait so long? He was 75, right, when he received the promise in Genesis 12 that he would be made into a great nation, that he would be blessed, and through him all the nations of the world would be blessed. Why didn't God just fulfill the promise then? That would be miraculous. Why didn't God fulfill the promise some years later, 10 years later, when he's in Canaan, and they're starting to become impatient with God, and God, why didn't he just intervene and say, okay, fine, don't, don't, don't have relations with the maidservant, I'm going to provide you a child now. Why did he wait from 75 to 125 years to fulfill the promise? You know what God wanted to show? He wanted to show that the birth of Isaac was not dependent upon the plan of man, but it was dependent on the promise of God. Ishmael, his birth was based on the plan of Sarah. Sarah had a great idea. I'm going to help God out. I'm going to fulfill this plan. Abram, take, when you try to do it your way, things, bad things happen. God demonstrated. It's not the plan of men. It's the promise of God. God demonstrated through the birth of Isaac. It's not based on the work of the flesh. It's based on the work of the Spirit. It's not natural. It's supernatural. And God wanted to demonstrate to you and I this morning as we're reminded that's, that, that the birth of Isaac was not by man, but it was by God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Because how else can a 90-year-old woman conceive and then give birth to a child? That's why in the next verse, verse 23, he says this, but he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh was born by natural means. It's not unusual for a younger woman who is fertile like Hagar to conceive and give birth to a son. And so it says here, but he who is of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. Natural means, and he of the free woman through promise. In other words, supernatural. It wasn't the work of man. It was the work of God. And then Paul connects it to the gospel. And he says, these things are Symbolic. How are they symbolic? In a moment, we're going to talk about two covenants and two Jerusalems. Before we get there, how are these, two, these things symbolic? Well, in the same way that Isaac was born, we're reminded this morning that our salvation is not based on the plan of man, but based on the promise of God. This morning, just like the birth of Isaac, we are reminded that our salvation is not based on the work of the flesh or obeying the law, depending on our own efforts to secure our salvation, but is based on the Spirit of God who brings new life into us and we become new creations in Christ. Your salvation and mine is, does not come by natural means. It comes by supernatural Means. Ephesians tells us before Christ comes into our lives, we were dead in our sins and our transgressions. It's a supernatural thing when God breathes new life into you and the Spirit of God draws your heart to the knowledge of Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord. Isn't that amazing? And so we see that salvation is not a work of the flesh. It's a work of the Spirit. These things are symbolic. Paul goes on to introduce us to two covenants and two Jerusalems. 
You got the old covenant, you got the new covenant, you've got the earthly Jerusalem, you got the heavenly Jerusalem, and Paul is going to connect Hagar and Sarah to these two. So first he introduces us to Hagar, and he says, Hagar represents the old covenant given to Moses at Mount Sinai. It says, for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. You know, the law given to Moses on Mount Sinai, it's not the law, that the law was bad. We see that in Scripture. The law is good. The law reveals the righteousness of God and also reveals how far we miss the mark and fall short. The problem with the law is that it can't change our hearts. And the law points us to our need for Christ. But if you are going to desire to be under the law, you have to keep that law perfectly. And if you miss the, miss the mark in any capacity, then you stand condemned under the law. And as we said earlier, working for your salvation does, is not a path to freedom and everlasting life. It's the pathway to bondage, and you stand condemned before a holy God because none of us can fully obey the law perfectly. So it leads to bondage. And Paul says Hagar represents that law. And then he goes on to say that Hagar doesn't just represent the old covenant. He also, she also represents, as you're working for your salvation, but she also represents the earthly Jerusalem. It says, verse 25, for this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. She's talking about the earthly Jerusalem that represents those who are working for their salvation, those who have rejected Christ as a pathway to forgiveness and everlasting life. You know, the Jerusalem that had Christ crucified, that's the Jerusalem he's talking about. You know what Paul is basically saying, especially to these Judaizers, is listen up. You may think that you're a son of Abraham, but the real question is, which son are you? Are you the son who is the son of the free woman or the son of the bondwoman? They would desire to be the son of, of, the, of the free woman, Isaac. But you know what, Abraham, what Paul is telling them? He's saying, you're Ishmael. You're not Isaac. When you are working for your salvation rather than trusting God for your salvation because salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So Paul says Hagar represents the the earthly Jerusalem. And, you know, the new covenant, you've got the old covenant of the law, you have the new covenant that is, speaks of God's grace. Paul doesn't necessarily connect that to Sarah, but that is who Sarah is. What is the new covenant? I can take you back to Galatians 2.16. It's this, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, as it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Re Sarah represents the new covenant of grace. But Sarah also corresponds to the heavenly Jerusalem. The heavenly Jerusalem represents those who are citizens of heaven, having trusted in Christ for their salvation, rather than working for their salvation as, as they seek to obey the law as a means of salvation. And so Paul says Sarah represents or corresponds to the new Jerusalem. The question 
that corresponds to us this morning is whose son are you? Yeah, we're all sons of Abraham, spiritually speaking. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you, so let's just praise the Lord. But spiritually speaking, who are you related to, Ishmael or Isaac? Are you the son of the free woman, as you are trusting God for your salvation, having placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord as a means of salvation? Or are you the son of the bondwoman, as you are trusting in your own human efforts, your own ability, trusting in your ability to obey the law as a means of salvation when the reality is that's a path that doesn't lead to freedom and forgiveness and everlasting life. It leads to bondage. It's not a path to heaven. It's a path straight to hell. And Paul continues, and he quotes Isaiah 54.1, and he says this, of those who are citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem, those who are justified by faith and not by the works of the law, this is a text that corresponds to us this morning. The next verse says, for it is written in Isaiah 54.1, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Who is that written to? That's written to um, Israel while she's in exile. And the time in which she's in the exile is described similar to a woman who is barren. And the, the, the prophetic word for them is after they come out of exile and God restores them in the future, hope it will be like a fruitful mother. And Paul, Paul applies it to, to us this morning to, be, to remind us that you and I, if we are citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem because we've trusted in Christ by grace through faith in him alone and not by the works of the flesh, we have a present joy and a future hope. So it doesn't matter what we went through this past week or the storms and the challenges and all the rest that came our way. It doesn't matter the challenges you have ahead of you this coming week. Some of us have had our electricity restored. Others have not. Some of you this morning were praying for those whose houses have been destroyed. Others who have a hard work ahead of them. Listen, no matter what goes on in our lives, no matter what circumstances or challenges we face, you and I have a present joy and a future hope because the greatest joy we have is that we are citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem. And we know because we are not trusting in our own human efforts to secure our salvation, but trusting in the finished work of Christ on the cross, we have a reason to rejoice, a reason to gather, a reason to give God glory and give God thanks. And we'll be doing it forever and ever and ever. And so in verses 21 to 27, what is our assurance? The assurance Paul gives us, gives his readers, those who are straying from the truth, is that the gospel is true. What is the true gospel? It's that you can't work for your salvation. That leads to bondage. It leads to death. It leads to an eternity without God and his people forever. We have the assurance that we must trust in God by grace through faith in Christ alone for salvation. You know, this morning, if you have that assurance, you've not trusted in your own works, you're trusting in the finished work of Christ on the cross. You're trusting in God by faith in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. How are we invited to respond this morning? Number one, the gospel is an invitation. 
It's an invitation to abandon our human efforts in order to work for our salvation. You know, a question that sometimes people ask is, doesn't the Bible say God helps those who help themselves? Doesn't it say that? No. There's nowhere in Scripture where the Bible says God helps those who help themselves. Some people think to themselves, you know, I, before I come to Christ, before I give my life to Jesus, I know the gospel, and I'll, I want to first get right before God. I, I want to be a better husband or a better wife. I, I want to be a better father or a better mother. I, I want to stop smoking. I want to stop drinking. I want to clean my life up. And, and so God helps those who help themselves, and then I'm going to come to Christ. No, the Bible doesn't say God helps those who help themselves. The Bible says God helps those who can't help themselves. I quoted Ephesians 2, 1 earlier. We were dead in our sins and transgressions. Dead people can't do anything. They need God to resurrect them through the power of the Spirit. Call them to himself. In Romans chapter 3, verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. None of us do what is right. Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were still yet Sinners, while we still could not help ourselves, Christ died for us, died for you and for me. This morning, the invitation is to abandon your human effort, working for your salvation, and trust God and what Christ has accomplished on your behalf on that cross. Receive his righteousness and receive his forgiveness and enjoy what it means to be a citizen of the heavenly Jerusalem. You know, if I could describe what it looks like to depend on your human efforts to get into heaven, I would say this. It's kind of like depending on a small heater to heat the whole house. This past week, our electricity went out a couple days, and we're grateful the Lord brought it back on. We're praying, as I said earlier, for those who, who are still without and as God provides for your necessities. And um, we, got a, we got a six, a four-year-old, and they do good because you just pile the blankets on them for those cold nights, and they're fine. The one-year-old, he had trouble sleeping because it was so chilly. And so we try to pack on all those clothes and that sort of thing. So after a couple nights, we thought to ourselves, maybe we'll, we'll use the generator someone had offered us. One of the deacons offered us a generator. So we said, yeah. After, after two nights, we said, bring the generator. So they brought the generator over. Can I tell you, it was raining outside when we set up one of those tents over it. And then I, I went ahead and plugged uh, a long cord in. After plugging the long cord in, I went in the house and I had this little space heater and I was thinking I was going to use the space heater for my son's room at night, but during the day, I only had a small space, uh, space heater, and I said, this thing is going to heat my whole living room. And can I tell you, as I turned that guy on, and it was blowing hot air, it was nice, it was blessing to go near it, but I was thinking to myself, that thing cannot do the job. <laughs> It cannot heat the whole house. And I said, as I'm preparing for this message, that's just like working for your salvation. You can't do enough good in order to get rid of the bad. We need to trust in Christ for our salvation. So the gospel is an invitation to abandon your human effort. Secondly, the gospel is an invitation to trust God by grace through faith in Jesus. Uh, I had an opportunity a couple weeks back to talk to a friend that I've had for over 20 years. Um, he's been 
at churches. He attends a church now. Uh, I've had an opportunity to chat with him many different times, and, and uh, he hasn't yet given his life to Christ. And so I said, it's 20, 2024. Uh, is there anything keeping you from giving your life to Jesus this year? What's holding you back? And his basic answer was, was commitment. I'm not ready to commit to go all in because if I commit, I'm serious about it, just like I commit to my wife, uh, I'm going to be married to her for the rest of our lives. I take that commitment serious. I said, that's good. He said, so I want to take my commitment seriously to the Lord. And I said, well, what are you wrestling through? What's going to help you get there? He said, well, I'm wrestling through some questions. And, and then he said, you know, the church I'm at isn't the best church. And I, I said, well, the church you're at, can you take your next step with God and, and receive him into your life uh, at the church you're at? He said, no. I said, well, go find a church where you can. <laughs> Whatever is hindering you from trusting in Christ and giving your life to Jesus and allowing him to do the work in your heart to draw you to himself and shine the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ into your life. What, what, what do you need to do? This morning, I want to ask anyone here today who hasn't trusted in Christ, who hasn't committed your life to Jesus, why wait any longer? you've got questions you're wrestling with, today's the day of salvation. Talk to somebody about it. Pastors are here. Sometimes folks say, oh, pastors are too busy. No, this is what we live for. If you've got questions about salvation, about God, about the things of the faith, there are many faithful believers in our church who would love to have a conversation with you. The invitation is to trust God. And whatever is hindering you, ask God to open your heart to the truth of the gospel. Thirdly, this morning, the gospel, as we receive this assurance that it is true, is an invitation to enjoy the blessed assurance of our salvation. You know the song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. This morning, do you have that blessed assurance? There's no greater way as we finish up January, head into the next, the rest of the year to have the blessed assurance that Jesus is mine and I am his. There's no greater blessing. If you've got that blessed assurance, thank God for it. Enjoy it, worship him, celebrate him, and then, celebrate, and then share him with those who don't know him. You know, our salvation is not based on our plans. It's based on his promise. It's not based on the work of the flesh or our human effort. It is based on the spirit of God and his power. It's not natural, it's supernatural. And that's the assurance you and I have been given. Aren't you grateful? If it was dependent on me, I'd probably lose my salvation. But thank God it's dependent on him. And he's the one who calls us to himself. And he who began a good work in us is going to bring it to Completion. So first assurance that we've been given this morning is the assurance that the gospel is true. Second assurance that you and I have been given is the assurance that our identity in Christ is secure. Our identity in Christ is secure. When you become a child of promise, when you become a child of God, no one can take that from you. As we continue to read in verse 28, it says, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. This morning, what a blessed assurance that is. Like Isaac, we are children of promise if we have trusted in Christ as our Savior and Lord. What does it mean to be a child of promise? Abram 
was given a promise in Genesis 12. Land, seed, blessing, he would be made into a great nation. As spiritual sons of Abraham, what is our blessing that we receive? Well, in Genesis 12, 3, the promise given to Abraham is this, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How are all the families of the earth blessed, not just Jew, but Gentile alike, through faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, the promised seed. How are we blessed alongside of believing Abraham? If you go back to Galatians 3.9, it says this, so then those who are of faith are blessed alongside of believing Abraham. How do we enjoy what it means to be a child of promise by continuing to trust in Christ as our Savior and our Lord to have that assurance. We are adopted sons and daughters of God. We are children of promise just like Isaac. This morning, that's a reason to, to celebrate. It's a reason to rejoice. That's a reason to come and gather as God's people and greet one another in the name of our Father and Son and His Son Jesus Christ, and say grace to you and peace, and, and 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 greet one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. So we are our children of promise. Secondly, uh, as just like Isaac, not only are we children of promise, but we are also we should also expect persecution. Text continues and says, "But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so." It is now. Uh, what is Paul talking about there? If you go back to Genesis 21, verses 9 through 10, um, as Ishmael and Isaac grew up together, Ishmael was probably mocking or ridiculing, the terms here, persecuting his brother. And it says in Genesis 21, 9 through 10, And Sarah saw that the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. So ridiculing him, mocking him, maybe say, hey, He's 13 years older, right? Saying, hey, I'm the, I'm the elder son. I'm the one going to receive the inheritance. I don't know what he's saying. Text doesn't tell us. But he's mocking him, ridiculing him. Verse 10 says, Therefore she said to Abram, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. Now, Abram's going to be displeased by this because he says, Ishmael's my son. But God tells him, Heed the word of your wife. I'll take care of Ishmael. I'm going to make him into a great nation. Uh, the descendants of Ishmael, who do they become? They become the Arab people. The sons of Isaac, of course, will become the nation of Israel. And this morning, you still see the conflict at play when you take a look at the world around us to this day. Um, but this morning, what the text warns us about is that we should expect persecution. But the text doesn't tell you to expect persecution from those on the outside. You know, sometimes we're worried about what the culture is going to do or the challenges we're going to face out there. Often, the ones that we face hostility from are not outside the church. Often, they are inside of the church. Those who are working for their salvation and putting that burden on others, those are those who, when they hear about grace, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, can at times become hostile. Who were those in Jesus' day who said, crucify him, crucify him? The religious leaders of the day, the, 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 the 
heads of the seminary, these were like seminary professors, the, 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 the pastors and the top leaders of the day. Those are the ones who had Jesus persecuted. In Paul's day, it's the Judaizers who said, yeah, faith in Jesus is important. It's just not enough. <laughs> You've got to obey this list of rules and I'm going to put this burden on you. And so it's a reminder that we should expect persecution. When you believe the gospel of grace, there will be those who are hostile towards it and will try to put the burden of legalism on your shoulders. You know, a lot of times when we're reading through Galatians and we're reminded that when we are justified by faith, declared righteous, all sins, past, present, and future have been forgiven. And the question often comes up, does that give us license to sin? Well, as we're going to continue to read in Galatians, we're going to see, no, absolutely not. What we've been called to do is we've been called not to walk in the flesh, but walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. In the same way we have been justified by grace through faith is the same way that we are sanctified by grace through faith and are conformed into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. And so we don't keep rules to be justified before God, and we certainly don't keep rules as a means to be sanctified. The manner in which we are sanctified is by believing the gospel of grace and the power of the Holy Spirit who enables us to live the Christian life. How do you live a life of holiness as a believer of Jesus, as a new creation in Christ? John 15, by abiding. If you will abide and simply stay connected to Jesus through prayer, through the word, through the fellowship of the saints and the body of believers as we bear one another's burdens and celebrate one another's blessings. As you stay connected to him, there you become fruitful because Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. But those who are connected to Christ and abide in him, not only do they bear fruit, they bear much fruit. Church, may we abide in Christ this year. May we stay connected to him. Regardless of the challenges we continue to face as we wrap up January, head into the rest of the year, may we stay connected to him in the word, in prayer, in the fellowship of believers as we get to go out and share our faith with the law. So as, just like Isaac, we are sons of promise. Just like Isaac, we should expect persecution. Just like Isaac, we are heirs of an eternal inheritance text goes on to say, nevertheless, what does the scripture say? He quotes this text, cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be the heir with the son of the free woman. What are we? We are heirs of salvation and everlasting life as sons of the free woman, alongside of Isaac. This morning, I'd like to invite you as you consider the challenges that you may face as you trust in Christ alone through faith, well, receive salvation through faith in Christ alone, um, by faith alone, in him alone. And so um, as you do that, the, the encouragement is to cast out any dependence or reliance on your own human efforts, as we've already shared, that you would see that Anyone who says you've got to work for your salvation or add something to the finished work of Christ on the cross is not preaching the true gospel. They're preaching a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. And those who truly believe that and truly follow that are not true in brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we need to know who that is. Well, the text continues and tells us not only are we heirs of salvation, it also reminds us as we conclude, so then, brethren, we are not children of the bond woman, but of the 
free. This morning, whose son are you? Are you alongside of Isaac? Are you alongside of Ishmael? Are you working for your salvation? Are you trusting God for your salvation? This morning, I pray that you would walk away with the assurance that your identity in Christ is secure. And if your identity in Christ is secure, what's our takeaway this morning? You've got a testimony. I've got a testimony. This morning, if I could give you this takeaway, it would be this. Number one, that you would share your testimony faithfully. To share your testimony faithfully means to share it as often as God gives you opportunity. That you would be available as much as possible. You know, uh, there was a pastor who would preach the gospel every single week and he wouldn't move on to other things and the people in the congregation started to ask, Pastor, why do you preach the gospel every single week? Because he answered, each week you forget it. You know, as believers, if we need to be reminded of the gospel again and again and again, how much more is we share our testimony with unbelievers, should we be sharing it again and again and again? So share your testimony faithfully. Secondly, share your testimony prayerfully. Share your testimony prayerfully. Um, Someone once said we should be talking to God about people as much as we talk to people about God. If there is someone you are witnessing to that that you're praying for their salvation, take as much time to talk to them about Jesus as you talk to Jesus about them and call call, call upon the Lord to awaken their heart to the truth of the gospel so that they might receive the joy of their salvation as you do. The assurance that the gospel is true and that their identity in Christ is secure. And then uh, share your testimony expectantly. Share your testimony expectantly. You know, over these 24 days of prayer, we have been on each morning from 6.30 to 7.30 praying for some of these requests again and again and again. And sometimes you wonder, am I praying with expectation that God, my God is big enough to answer this prayer? You know, of course, he's going to answer in accordance with his will and in accordance with his word. But, but do we really believe that he's going to do something? This morning, I want to invite you to pray with expectation that God can and will answer in accordance with his will. Uh, this, this week, as I've already said on Wednesday, as we break the fast, everyone's invited, whether you prayed and fasted or not. We want to come together as a church family. And as we do that at 6 p.m. on Wednesday, we're going to take the opportunity to testify of how God has been working through the 24 days of prayer how God is continuing to work. Some of our prayers, God is saying yes. Other prayers, he's saying no. Other times, he's saying wait. I'm looking forward to taking time to sharing as a church family what God is doing. And I pray that this is your testimony as we close this morning. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God born of his spirit, washed in his blood. I pray that you can declare, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the days long. And we pray, Father, thank you, Lord, for the assurance that the gospel is true and that our identity in Christ as children of promise is secure. Thank you, Father, for the reminder this morning that we can't work for our salvation. We must abandon, depending on our own human efforts, when it comes to salvation, but we must trust in Jesus Christ alone, what he's accomplished for us on the cross. 
receive his righteousness and enjoy the eternal blessings of what it means to be citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem. Father, I pray this morning if there's someone here today who would, who would answer the question, is there anything keeping you from committing your life to Jesus? And they would say there's nothing. And they want to express in their hearts or out loud that they want to make Jesus their Savior. And Lord, I pray that they can say this. Father, I recognize I need you. I admit my need for Jesus. I'm a sinner. I missed the mark. I've fallen short. I believe that's why Jesus came from heaven to earth. He died on the cross in order to forgive my sins and to provide me his righteousness through his substitutionary death and atonement. Today, I confess Jesus as my Savior. I make him my Lord, the one I'm going to follow all the days of my life into eternity. Father, we are grateful for these truths. I pray that you would continue to put different people on our hearts that you want us to share our faith with. And with great expectation, we would get to see you answer our prayers in accordance with your will. We pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.